Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 44, which begins with Goose lying in tall grass, and it ends with Goose's friend Midge lending him his ute. (laughs) I'm still bumping up against you calling him Midge. (laughs) Well, okay, we'll talk about that when we actually meet him. Because we get a few quick shots of... You know, we get tall grass in the field and then we fade over to Goose just lying limp in that tall grass and then he starts to stir. Mm -hmm. Quick interjection. Did you get a sense of passage of time? You know, I did get a sense of that. As if he's been lying there for a while. For a while, yeah. Yeah. And if not unconscious, then at least, you know, dazed. Dazed. Absolutely. I gotta say, all told, when you really look at it, and I feel like we might have covered this a bit yesterday, I don't think. The crash was really all that bad on Goose. I feel like it was harder on the motorcycle than it was on him. Yes. I mean, granted, it's not going to do his bum knee any favors. Mm -mm. I mean, the fact that he, I guess, broke it (laughs) in the first chase and now he's flown off his motorcycle and landed in the grass after this crash, like it's not going to, it's not going to help it heal faster. And if anything, it probably redid some of the damage that he initially had done. Yes, but it doesn't really matter. No. <laughs> it's not like that's going to come into play too much. Nope. But we get this nice shot once again of the tall grass, and all of a sudden we see Goose standing up and he's just clutching his helmet, and you get this sense that he's just groaning because I'm sure he's very sore. Yeah, I don't like that. No? No. Okay, so wearing a helmet, you're... And you put your hands on your helmet, they're very separated from your head by several inches. Well, maybe not several inches, but by a couple of inches. So if your head is hurting or you're dazed, putting your hands on your helmet doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't satisfy the need of, you know, grounding yourself, putting your hands to your head, which is what you're, which is, which is the sensation that you're going for. So I never understand it when... (sighs) But if you're dazed, when people interact like this, with their helmets in that way, he's and it's not just this, like all over cinema, people interact with their helmets in that way, and it never makes sense to me. The whole idea of holding on to your helmet is just steadying your head in its entirety because when you're dazed, you know, you get that heavy head sensation mm-hmm. where you start feeling off balance and you just need to hold on to something to keep your head from spinning. And so, yeah, he doesn't have his hands on his actual face and he's not holding his temples or anything like that, but at least he's holding on to something that is also holding on to his head so he can keep those stars and birds from throwing him off balance. I guess so. You know, those those Looney Tune things that show I'm up whenever someone hits their head of... really hard. I'm kind of surprised, and maybe this is a safety thing, I don't really know, but I would have thought that the first thing he'd do is take off his helmet. Mm. But maybe it's a safety issue. Like, don't don't whip off your helmet. Let's say, at this point, crash. I don't know. At this point, taking it off, leaving it on, I'm not sure it makes that big of a difference. Yeah, so I would have taken it off. Where, I, yeah, I don't think he's really thinking at this point. His main thing is, now that he's standing up, 
he needs to go over to his motorcycle and radio this in. Yes. Which is exactly what it is. He kind of unsteadily stumbles over to his motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And we start to hear dispatch again. Now that we're not, Of course we do. Now that we're not driving at 80 miles an hour. Yes. We can actually hear what they're saying. And we get a little bit of dispatch dialogue before it's cut off by goose dialogue. They're saying MFP 8-1, a memorandum for the cannibalization, dot, dot, dot. And then Goose cuts them off. But I was sitting there listening to what Dispatch was saying. And they're talking about the cannibalization of vehicles by MFP mechanics is now (laughs) prohibited. So it sounds like Barry kind of overstepped his mandate and kept cannibalizing cars. (laughs) <laughs> like he put the black on black together using whatever funding Fifi got from Labatouche. And then he probably thought, well, I could just keep doing that. Keep gutting cars and putting them together in new in new and interesting ways. And I love that idea because as we're going to see in movies down the road for this series, the whole idea of taking cars and altering them in new and interesting ways, it becomes core to the aesthetic of the Mad Max series. And while we don't see that a lot in this first movie, they're all very normal-looking vehicles, we see that a lot more down the road. Yeah, uh, it just occurred to me a little bit more foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. I feel like the last five minutes have been very, very heavy on foreshadowing. Yeah, and I think looking back at this, knowing that the other movies exist knowing where the story is going to go down the road, it's easy for us to look back with hindsight that's 2020. Right. And pick these little things out. I'm not sure if George Miller had all of this in his mind when he was filming back in 1976, but Mm -hmm. it's nice to know that there's just these little inklings of forethought in the background. Yeah, I think so. So Goose picks up his receiver, calls over MFP copy, MFP copy. Hey, hey, it's the Goose. And he kind of knocks the receiver against his helmet as if to try and, like, get a little bit more attention. Yes, which reminds me, back with the Knight Rider and Goose's crash, he did a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, banging the receiver against, I think it was his windshield yeah. that time. Like, yeah, like, trying to get their attention when that's not how it works. <laughs> but in in pulling the receiver to bang it against his helmet, we realize that the cord is no longer attached yeah. to the bike. Now, the question is, was it the crash that disconnected the cable, or was it Johnny who, while sabotaging the bike, reached up and just kind of popped it out? I like to think that it was Johnny, because, I think partly because I want to know what Johnny did. Yeah. I want some clarification, some concrete evidence of what is actually going on. And I like the idea of Johnny being, hmm, intelligent enough (laughs) to go, hey... I'm going to cut the cord so that he can't call for help. Because that's it's brilliant. Yeah. That way, if you strand him, like we, we mentioned, was it yesterday or the day before? You know, if he trips the brakes in a place where he's not careening out of control, if he just gets stranded somewhere, at least then he can't say, hey, come pick me up. My brakes are, are locked. Right. Or anything like that. He has to hightail it back to civilization. Yeah. Which is exactly what he has to do. It's a way to isolate him so that they can you know pick him off yeah which is interesting so let's say that that's that you know it was a backup plan Mm -hmm. if he does survive the crash well now he's isolated and he has to hightail it back to civilization they didn't really take advantage of that oh no no the the whole plan he was on his way safely in a truck back to civilization by the time they 
uh, encounter him next. Yeah. So they had all the time that he was walking from the scene of the crash to where he gets the truck that they could have done something. Yeah. The whole plan of sabotaging Goose's motorcycle and causing him to crash, it's very confusing because I'm not quite sure how this plan is supposed to progress. Mm-hmm. based on what we see in the movie, it all seems a little too convoluted, to tell the truth. Yeah. Um, and we're definitely going to get into that tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Because that's when we worse. see Because that's when we see part two of the plan go into action, and then next week we see part three. Yeah. Which is where things really heat up. Yep. So the radio doesn't work. Well, the radio half works. It's receiving, but it's not sending out. Right. So Goose decides that the next best thing to do is just to go find help elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And he ends up on his post-one-night stand walk of shame. Just yes. not for the reason that most people have a post-one-night stand walk of shame. Right. Now, this is where I think we could have spent 15, 20 seconds emphasizing the distance he had to travel. Yeah. I think we could have saved 15, 20 seconds from... Watching the motorcycle drive down the road and shown it here, giving us like a mini montage of information on how far he had to walk mm-hmm. to find anybody who could help him. I, I think it would have been very effective. Because we, we do get the sense by the time we see him walking, he's kind of shuffling a little. Yeah. He looks tired. Yeah, he looks very tired. And I, he's probably sore as well. I would have appreciated taking time away from the wordless motorcycle ride to tack it on here to show him instead of just walking into the sunset um maybe include a shot of him walking past a little sign that has like a telephone emblem on it with an arrow and like you know a kilometer rating Mm -hmm. to say that okay well he's got to walk this far to find a phone and then we can cut straight to this next shot that we have of goose's friend showing up with a truck yeah you know, so that way we get a little bit more thing. Okay, well, he's going to walk this distance to find this commodity to, as we find out, call up his friend Midge, who's going to show up and come help him. Like, I feel like that would have added to this scene and taken away from a minute that just drug on way too long. Yeah. I think it dragged on. Dragged on? I think Drug so. on? Dragged on? I think it's dragged on. English is hard. Yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> I could swear up and down... This guy's name is Mitch. Yep. Because Goose actually says it rather clearly. Oh, Midge. yeah. But my brain translated it from Australian accent to American accent, and I heard Mitch. Yeah. My notes, I typed them up on the computer, and it auto-corrected Midge to Mitch. Which I feel is very validating for Oh, yeah. Me. <laughs> it's incredibly validating. So, like we've been saying, we get introduced to Midge in this minute. So... After Goose does his little walk of shame, the next shot we see is this red pickup truck with the bike loaded up in the back of it. And it's Midge and Goose. And he says, ah, you know, you're a lucky boy, not even road rash. And it's like, well, of course there wouldn't be road rash. He didn't actually hit the road. He hit Mm -hmm. nothing but soft grass. It's probably the only thing that saved his life. But Goose takes this opportunity, turns to him and says, hey, Midge, don't ride off the goose until you see the box going in the hole. And I heard... (laughs) Not having the script, which I still, I know I could go get the script. I just haven't. Because I have you. Um, I heard 
don't write off the goose till you see the fox go into the hole. Right. Which, which still is, works. It's a completely different image, but still works. Yeah. Because the way you heard it, the idea is like, okay, the goose gets attacked by the fox and the fox drags the goose into its hole. Yes. So it works. Whereas yes. in the, the actual subtitles, it's, it, you know, until you see the coffin going yes, into the grave. Which works much better. Yeah. And actually, after you told me that it was Box, we watched the minute one last time. Totally heard Box. You know, that's uh, yeah. just like one of those things where you can see a video of a mouth. And if the mouth is saying Box or Fox or anything that sounds like that, as long as it's got a consonant sound followed by ox, they can play whatever word they want, and the mouth will just appear to be saying that word. Yeah, that's the whole principle behind the bad lip reading series. Exactly. That's why it's so much fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> but. Um, real quick, I would like to question how they got the bike into the truck. So, on the one hand. It's not that big a bike. It's not that big of a bike. It's. Yeah. But at the same time... There's only two of them. There's only two of them. Goose is recently injured. We don't get a really good... We don't get a really good idea of all the commodities that they have in the back of that truck, though. Right. I wonder... Um, now, when he came upon the truck, did he come upon the house where Midge lives and therefore the truck was there? Or did he come... Did he happen, happen upon him... Like driving on the road. I'd like to think that Goose got to a point where he could contact Midge. Got to a point where he could contact Midge. Like How? A like a phone booth. It's the night. It's 1976. There are phone booths. Yeah, we've seen a phone booth, and the cord was cut. Have we seen that scene yet? No. Okay. Well, there's a scene somewhere in this movie where somebody I can't remember who we'll find out comes upon a, a phone booth. No, it's not a booth proper. It's yeah. just a little box, a little phone box, and okay. the cord is cut. Okay. I don't remember that. Don't you, it was, okay, it was the first scene that they shot. You mean where Johnny opens up the highway call box? Yes. Yeah. I feel like Goose could have just found a highway call box, unlocked it because he's a cop and has keys, called up his buddy Midge, say, hey, I need to borrow your truck. And then Midge is like, all right, where are you? Okay. Like that's, that's either, how I imagined it went. Yeah, yeah. Either. Okay. So if given that scenario, then he probably said, hey, I crashed my bike. Yeah. I need help. So he brought a ramp with him. Yeah, Which I mean, is probably just a piece of wood. We can't see it in here because we get nothing but far shots and we don't get a lot of really good yeah, we don't. close-up examination of what's in the back of that truck. Yeah. By the time we see them, they've already loaded it up. All the, the behind-the-scenes stuff is yeah, hidden which away was, from us. It felt jarring. Like really quick? Yeah, like it was too quick. Yeah. I know... I mean, I know movies, you gotta move quick. There's a lot to cover and all of that, but it felt too quick yeah like uh, he's walking down the road and bam he's got a truck bike is already in the truck eh. yeah almost like we could have stolen 30 seconds from another minute and mm -hmm. put it here for more background this yeah okay and what is it so midge says to goose um i don't have the exact line so i'm paraphrasing he says how lucky he is not even a little road rash yeah and like i said there wouldn't be right but Given that we jump in on the scene, the bike is already loaded, and they're, like, wrapping up their interaction, and he's just now commenting about his lack of injury, that feels weird, too. Like, yeah. wouldn't that be the first thing that he comments on when Perhaps. he first meets up with Goose? He might. This whole conversation, this whole scene that we didn't get to see. 
he might be commenting more about the motorcycle because motorcycles can get road rash too. Right. You know, you get scratches on the paint and everything like that. And Mitch yeah. is probably just noticing, oh, hey, there's not really a lot of scratch, you know. On the bike. On the bike. Because it flew into grass too. Yeah. And Midge is a good guy. He's concerned about his friend, as we'll see in a, in a moment or two. Mm-hmm. But like, he's definitely marveling at the fact that the bike is in such good condition. Like, granted, it's missing a few bits and bobs here and there. But it's still relatively whole, for sure. Yes. So we keep talking about Midge, and we haven't talked about him yet as a character. So Midge is played by Billy Tisdall, who has a pretty concise IMDb page entry. His top four is kind of his only four. (laughs) The number one best known movie that he's... The number one top thing that he's known for is, of course, Mad Max, which we've been talking about this whole time. Number two is a 1994 film called Every Night, Every Night, which is a film version of a stage play all about like a prison or something like that. Because what in Australia isn't about a prison somehow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, He played a character named Gilchrist in that one. In 1995, this is number three. He was in a short called And God Made Little Girls, where he's just credited as actor. I didn't look into that one because the title just... Sounded weird. Yeah, I thought I was going to ask you if you did because the title sounds weird. Yeah, I, I it, maybe it, it's best not to. It was one of those things where it's like I don't feel like looking into that one. It just you know I don't want to get put on a list. Right. And the number four thing he's known for is two episodes of Prisoner Cell Block H. Okay. Yeah. What little I read about Every Night Every Night, it kind of seems that that production kind of references back to the jail in Prisoner Cell Block H, but. I wasn't going to read that close to really distinguish it. Okay. Because Tisdall doesn't really have an extensive IMDb page. He doesn't even have a full bio. It's very sparse. And I searched him on Google and really didn't find much of anything to expand on that. So it is what it is. So. So I got the impression that Goose's Don't Write Me Offline was meant to give us the impression that he's out of harm's way. Like... Or at least give us the impression that he believes he's out of harm's way. Do you think the circumstances of of the crash are such that he realizes that it was sabotage? He probably hasn't thought of it that way. He probably thinks that it was just a brake malfunction. You know, it happens. And so that's why he's not more upset or outraged or whatever emotion would come from a man who found out that his bike was sabotaged. Yeah. He's just so cavalier about it because A, he's cavalier about everything, but B, I just don't think he's all that concerned by it. Yes, he he, certainly, we see in this sentiment and then again in the next minute, he seems to have no idea that things are starting to go from bad to worse and that he is not out of the woods and he should be wary. Yeah. Well, I mean, his whole mentality of... His whole mentality of don't write off the goose until you see the box going in the hole. He's got that invincibility complex where whatever doesn't kill him only makes him stronger. Like he's survived this crash. He survived the crash before it. You know, he's going to continue to survive because that's just what the goose does. He's just that good. And so I don't think he has even an inkling that something is working against him. And we're going to see specifically tomorrow that, you know... He's just carrying on Mm -hmm. typical Goose fashion. I think we have, as we've gotten to know Goose, we really have gotten a sense 
of how carefree he is, even in the face of danger. Mm-hmm. I, I think back to the Knight Rider crash where he he's, you know, pinned underneath a motorcycle and he's cracking jokes, mm-hmm. doesn't really seem to mind the position that he's in yeah. or the damage done to his bike or himself. He, it's like, it's black and white. Either he's alive or he's not. Right. As long as he's alive, he's a-okay. Yeah. Which, not a bad quality. No, no, not bad at all. If anything, it would help him cope with the job that he has. Yes. Yeah. So, going back to the minute, we pull out from them securing the motorcycle to get this nice wide shot of the ute on the side of the road. Now, ute, which is how they keep referring to this thing, is... Pretty much Australian slang for a utility vehicle, any sort of pickup truck or Jeep or anything like that, that you just use in a utilitarian fashion. This one specifically is an EJ Holden. Uh, it's un- I'm unsure about what year it is. It didn't quite say on the, the page what year it is, but it is incredibly beat up. <laughs> yes. And we see that even more in minutes to come, just how many pieces of it are missing. Right. It seems like a classic farm truck. Yeah, exactly. It's like still it's, working. Yep, it's doing still the job. Solid, and... Even if it doesn't necessarily have all the pieces left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but So it's a real shame that it uh, doesn't survive. Exactly. And I've got to say that the whole idea of either Goose showing up at Midge's place or Goose giving Midge a call and explaining his situation and Midge is just Johnny on the spot shows up to help him out. Not only shows up with his ute to lend it to him, but like offers to just let him take the truck. He doesn't even drive back with Goose. He brought a bicycle to ride home himself. He trusts Goose so inherently right. that he just lets him have it. It would have been so easy for Goose to just take him home and then go take care of whatever he needed to mm-hmm. do. Take care of the bike. But you see there's a bicycle propped up on the side. Yeah, because Midge is so selfless that he would rather help his friend and make sure he's taken care of than worry about how he's going to get home. Because he's got a bicycle. He's got two wheels. He'll make it. No problem. He's good to go. It's more about helping his friend. And I think everybody really needs a Midge in their life. You know, someone that they can call on, someone that they can always depend on no matter what. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a Midge in your life, then you should just, you know, strive to be the midge that you hope to see in others. <laughs> you know, let that let that light shine. Don't hide it under a bushel basket. <laughs> you know, I think Gandhi said that once, you know, be the midge that you hope to see in other in the world. Is it Gandhi that said that? Yeah. Not those exact words. Right. But the general idea. And you can tell that Midge is generally concerned about his friend because as Goose hops into the cab of the ute, we get this nice little POV shot of Midge going to the window to make sure, you know, one last time that Goose is okay. And it's a valid concern because we mentioned Goose holding on to his helmet earlier. And there's a very high chance that, you know, he got a concussion or something like that, that he's so rattled by the crash that maybe he shouldn't be driving right Mm -hmm. now. But Goose is very adamant about him being okay. Um, We're going to get more into that specific thing tomorrow. But I've got to say, it's a shame that Midge is in this movie for such a short time because he is such a good guy. Just all around good guy. Yes. Now, this is the only time we see him, correct? Yep. It's really nice to see a character like this who goes out of his way very far out of his way to help a friend. You get the sense that he would have done the same thing for a stranger. Yeah. Um, 
Not that the people we've seen outside of our main set of characters, they're not bad people. Right. We just haven't encountered anybody who is this, like, down-home, small community good. Right. Like, you take care of each other, and and you you give of your resources to help each other out. And if I'm remembering correctly to Road Warrior and beyond, yeah, that's gone. Mm-hmm. This is pretty much the only time in this entire series that we see a character like this. I gotta say, the whole world-ending cataclysm really could have been avoided if more people were like Midge. Perhaps. You know, if they cared about each other and want and decided to work together and just give freely of themselves, you know. And I'm kind of surprised. Well, no. I, I shouldn't say that I'm kind of surprised. I'm kind of bummed out that we never see some sort of reference to this character in later movies. Because we get a lot of mythology building in the later series. The people clinging to old world artifacts and old world ideas. And I kind of wish there were more references to this first movie in the later series for people who watched ever since movie number one to say, ah, oh, ha, ha, hey, I recognize that reference. Yep. No. And it would be just a little thing, just a little, you know, some guy maybe like in Barter Town or something like that, holding up a book and talking about, you know, the teachings of Midge. <laughs> It'd be a fun little Easter egg. And I don't think we ever get anything like that. Nope. That's a shame. <laughs> yep. But like I said, tomorrow we're going to get into Goose reassuring his friend that he's okay. And, you know, then more stuff happens. Yep. Um, I just hope that... Midge does not expect to get his truck back because he does tell Goose, don't wreck my truck now. And he's kind of joking about it. And Goose is like, yeah, I'll bring it back tomorrow. And Midge says, yeah, no hurry. No hurry at all. Yeah. I feel like a broken record here, but more foreshadowing. Yeah. Like I said before, I think there's more foreshadowing in the last three or four minutes than like the rest of the movie combined. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely do seem to be calling a lot of that out. Yes. For sure. So in the meantime... Our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 44. We will see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and men, take me to the end of the dream. Hold on tight.